not only is it difficult to meet winter and the darkness and the cold, but also to like actually engage with that uninterrupted time and let it be what it is and let it be a healing thing and let it offer us what it wants to offer us. It's not easy. It's challenging. I recognize there's a lot of idealism in this, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Hello and welcome to Emerging Form, a podcast on creative process. I'm Rosemary Watola Tromer. And I'm Christy Oshwanden. Hey, Rosemary. Hi, Christy. So you were just telling me about this very interesting article in Slate. Yeah, well, I was waiting for you to arrive on our Zoom. I I read this piece. I loved it. The title uh, is Don't Just Write a Novel This November, Write a Bad Novel. And so, um, <laughs> so listeners know it's, it's November, which is National Novel Writing Month. But I love this piece because the author, who is someone, Vanessa Zoltan, she says that you should do National Novel Writing Month to stick it to capitalism, because basically capitalism tells us that everything we're doing needs to be productive. And the reason you should do something creative like this is to, you know, basically turn it into money. And she basically argues that, you know, sure, there's this like statistically unlikely chance you could become the next Colleen Hoover, but statistically you probably won't be. Um, but she's really arguing in favor of writing a bad novel under the belief that you don't have to be productive. It doesn't have to be like turned into money for it to be worth doing. And I love this. So I, I'll just read this quote. The act of sitting down and spending time, not creating something for the market, not trying to be part of a grand tradition of anything perfect and refined and imagining a world that is different from the one you live in. Well, that is an act of resistance. So anyway, I love that idea. And I, I hope that all of our <laughs> Listeners will go out and do something, whether it's National Novel Writing Month or something else, go create something just for yourself and not for anyone else and not for money. Because I think it's a recurring theme on this show that the act of creativity is in and of itself uh, worthy, right? Well, and I think why not just say it that way? I mean, unless you're really strongly motivated by being a jerk, um, I, I wonder about instead of just saying write a novel to stick it to capitalism, how about just go write a novel because it's fun, <laughs> you know, and letting that be the frame, right? Like go write a novel and have fun laying around in your imagination because that's a really good time as opposed to it having that kind of strange negative framework. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I guess I just I see this so often, this pressure that people feel that they have to turn something into something. And I think particularly people who are trying writing for the first time or writing their first novel. I mean, it's so easy. I agree with right? this part. Yeah. This part I agree with. Yeah. But it's the whole stick it to capitalism part that, I, you know, so what? <laughs> like that that already gives capitalism way too much power. OK, so how about step away from capitalism? How about not even mentioning that and just mentioning it's a lot of fun to write a novel? <laughs> okay. Do it it for fun. Do it for fun. <laughs> Do it for fun. Yeah. Well, on that note, in terms of doing it for fun and really just getting deeply steeped in our creative practice and mm -hmm. the rhythms of creativity, I'm excited about our guest today, Jacqueline Suskin, who has just written a book, A Year in Practice, Seasonal Rituals and Prompts to Awaken Cycles of Creative Expression. And uh, this is kind of the whole exciting platform of this book. She sounds fantastic. And uh, I'll just mention to listeners here that uh, I had something come up at the last minute. So this is the first time we've ever done this in the podcast. But this is a solo interview, right, Rosemary? You talked to her. And so I'm looking forward to listening because I missed it. <laughs> 
sorry. And let's be honest, I felt a little bit like a little girl who's been walking to school with her mommy every day. And her mom finally said, okay, honey, you can walk to school all by yourself now. <laughs> um, that's kind of how it felt. <laughs> I was like a little bit nervous. Uh but also deeply excited because I've been looking forward to to meeting Jacqueline Suskin for a long time. So it was thrilling. And I kind of was like, I get her all to myself. Oh, so that's great. That was kind of fun, too. Great. Uh, let me tell you all about her. Jacqueline Suskin has composed over 40,000 poems with her ongoing improvisational writing project, Poem Store. She's the author of six books, including Help in the Dark Season. Her work has been featured in The New York Times, The Atlantic, and Yes! Magazine. And she lives in Detroit. Let's bring her on. Hello, Jacqueline, and welcome to Emerging Form. Hi, thanks for having me. And I have to say that I've been really looking forward to this because I have been following you and your work for a long time. And you and I have similarly a huge practice where we're writing constantly, constantly and have just a, a lot of work. And I've always admired your devotion to practice and your just willingness to play. So it's a thrill to have you here. Thank you. So for listeners who haven't read your new book yet, can you give us just a couple sentence summary of A Year in Practice? Yeah, it's a book that explores the seasonal rhythms of energy that come with creative practice, but attuned to the earth. So letting the earth kind of be your guide through your year of practice, thus the title A Year in Practice. Um, mm -hmm offers a lot of prompts and rituals around each of those different energies that comes with the different seasons. I think of it as just a toolkit to give you an extra structure for your practice that you may already have or that you're searching for. Mm -hmm. You know, and in your mind, is there an ideal person who would use your book? Like, who would they be? I imagine that there are a few different pathways that will lead folks into the book. And I think obvious to the concept of creative practice are creatives or folks who make art or people who want to make art or who want to tap into their creativity. And the book is kind of full of guideposts for nurturing that part of yourself. But then I also think that it's in service to reminding anyone of what the earth offers when it comes to guidance and it mm -hmm. sort of gives these really accessible invitations to noticing and witnessing and engaging with everything the earth offers. So in that part, I think it could be for anyone, anyone who wants to sort of reaffirm or reconnect with all that the earth is offering. And then I think for the creative aspect of it and the artistic aspect of it, I, I know that for myself as an artist over the years, I've consistently tried to rework my practice and find different ways to you know, uphold that devotion or allow myself to further understand what works for me. And mm -hmm. in that process of searching for that, you know, I turn to the earth for everything. So in, in that, I have also found a lot of answers that the earth is bountiful with direction and guidance when it comes to how to be better in my practice, how to rest in my practice. And this book sort of is a collection of all of that experience, that all of the things that have helped me nurture and recognize what I'm doing as a writer and how to do it in a way that works better for me. Mm -hmm. It definitely has that feel of a book that has come out of a lifetime's worth of 
this is how I've been doing it. This is, these are my discoveries. So it has that, that authenticity to it. And it has that sense to me as I was reading it of, yeah, this, this gal, she, she's done this, you know, she's been with this for a long time. And I, I want to add too, just for anyone, it, even so, Jacqueline, you're a writer. Are you also an artist, by the way? Do, do you have other arts that you pursue? Yeah, yeah. And I kind of use the word artist as sort of a broad blanket to kind of stretch over everything that I do, because there's definitely a lot of visual aspects to my practice that are just for me. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of like creating altars and spaces and imagery and, you know, big handwritten calligraphy signs and things that help keep me in my practice that feel very artistic. And in that, I consider my artistry is sort of more mm-hmm. expansive than just written on the page. But that not, that doesn't mean <laughs> that I'm showing or sharing that with everyone, which I think I like to talk about that. I don't usually talk about it very often because it is sort of like a more private part of my practice. But I think I opened the book with saying, you know, I, I know that calling oneself an artist is very complicated for a lot of people. And I like to just think of it as a more broad title that allows me to have this like creative freedom that sort of exists in all these different avenues of my life. But all of it does feed back into my writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful to have that kind of broad freedom. And I kind of love this idea, too, that as artists, you know, maybe there are primary arts that we have that we share with the world writing, but then you have maybe dancing or, or sketching or, you know, whatever it is that's your kind of more private place where you get to play more and feels no pressure at all because you're not sharing it. Yeah. It's just a more inherent part of my expression. I'm always dancing. I have so many different clothes. I've always loved clothes and making a space feels very artistic to me. And I've always been into that. You know, there's just different parts of my personality that definitely come out with the imaginative creativity as the lead. And I feel that calling myself an artist or understanding what it is to be an artist kind of has just helped me examine all those different parts of myself. And it's oftentimes, I think, when there's a name for something like that or a title for something like that, it helps us see ourselves better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally get that. I think it's nice, too. In your book, I, I definitely had the sense that did feel like an invitation to many kinds of artists. <laughs> I'll just use that word. To, to anybody, whether they felt as if they were an artist or not, or a writer or not, that that there were many, many doorways in. Would you talk just a little bit about the genesis of the book for you? Yeah, this book is different than anything I've ever written. And it was quite an exciting process to sort of just dive into something so new. But it was based on this feeling I had that in searching for rhythm and discipline, I do a lot of work one-on-one with people trying to help them kind of curate their practice or devote themselves to their practice or even find a starting place. And I find that everyone's sort of searching for this rhythm that suits them best. And in my practice over the years of searching, because I think every writer and every creative person searches for that. And honestly, anyone who might not create art is still probably searching for a rhythm that works in their daily life because, (laughs) right? Yeah, it's hard to figure out when's the best time to get things done and when should I be, you know, relaxing and when should I be really pushing for it? And I think in my experience of kind of witnessing my clients move through those questions, I always turn to the earth for answers no matter what I'm searching for. And so in this, I turned to the earth and was 
just curious, like, what does it look like to ask the earth about rhythm? And my immediate answer was the seasons. And I started writing on that concept and kind of pitched it to Sounds True and thought, this is a really important exploration. I think there's a lot here for people. And they were like, we love that idea. And so then I started this process of my own research and my own observation And a lot of that was like examining my past and the things that I've done that have worked for me, the tools that have worked to help kind of attune me to my practice and looking at that seasonally. Mm -hmm. And then it just so happened that once I signed the contract and magically moved to Detroit on the perfect cusp of each season unfolding. And so I got to write the book in tune with each season. And that felt like a really big affirmation for me just to kind of witness Here's what I'm thinking it looks like to follow the seasons with this creative rhythm in mind and then have it kind of reflected back to me immediately that, yes, this is what winter holds for you as a writer. But maybe I explored things that I hadn't thought of before and had to find not only personal proof, but also just this real presence with the season. There were things that were just undeniable. And I got to kind of translate all of that and put it in the book. Could you, I would love it if you would then maybe just walk us through your own creative practice and how it's informed by a seasonal cycle and just give us a little, take us through a season and and then another in in Detroit as it is. (laughs) Well, I started writing in winter and winter is for me the most, uh, I mean, it's the longest chapter in the book. I had the most to say about winter. And it's not necessarily that I feel the most creative in winter, but it's when I feel that my most creative Mm. self is nurtured Mm. because winter is what gives me space for reflection and rest and going inward without interruption. Winter is often when I get clarity on my bigger ideas and I can kind of see maybe where they're going or where they came from. And I get to explore that real just the inner world that offers so much information that I then will translate into my work. And so winter has always been this really sacred time for me. It's usually when I go on a retreat. It's usually when I do something that's very clearly devoted to my practice. And so winter is a very hefty part of the book uh, because I just have all these practices. (laughs) Were you surprised? I wasn't surprised with winter. I tell you what, I was very surprised with spring, though, because spring, I think kind of culturally, we look at spring as this really beautiful time of reawakening and that it's and it is it's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. You know, all the life kind of reemerging. And I found that in my experience here in Detroit, after my cocoon and restful winter, I was so bombarded by the energy of spring. It was so chaotic and frantic. It was so intense. I did not see that coming. I think that was the biggest surprise of the whole book, that how grating and raw spring felt to me after being so, you know, just really in my space of uh, introspection. And then the brightness and the striking emergence and how that really was hard for me. Mm. And the way that reflects with practice is kind of easing back into the force of creation and allowing yourself to have, you know, one foot in the door 
and one foot out the door. You're not you're not going out full blast right away into spring because you might overdo it. And I I, I use this example in the book of this plum tree at the farm where I used to live that kind of put its blossoms out a little too soon. And mm-hmm. then there was a huge storm and they all blew off and that tree didn't produce very much fruit that year. And I think that's sort of the perfect metaphor for the way that spring like showed me its effect on my creative practice. It's just like, don't go all out at once. Like be slow, be careful. Let the back and forth feeling of spring to winter kind of be a longer, more careful transition. If you can, you know, I mean, (laughs) I used to be a fruit grower. So I know that the fruit is going to come on, you know, those flowers are going to come out when the sun comes out. And I know that in our creative lives too, sometimes, you know, all of a sudden there's the opportunity And so you go because the time is now, you know, I feel like there's the ideal world where we can take it slow and I'm going to put out my blooms just a little bit at a time. But, you know, I also know both as a, as a creative and also as a, as a fruit grower that sometimes it's just now, you know, and, and then what do you do? Yeah. Then I think what you do is you sort of recognize that you had to do that. And maybe then you give yourself another little taste of winter. I I talk a lot about kind of bringing the winter and the restfulness back again and again Mm -hmm. throughout the seasons, like more so than this book being like, this is exactly what you do at this time of year. It's more about like understanding Mm -hmm. these different rhythms and energies that come with the seasons and then being able to call upon those when you notice, okay, well, this was a huge period of output am I now needing to rest? Or sometimes the other option is now maybe you're needing to be with people. And summer is this really communal time. It's a time where I find like I have a lot of energy to be around other people and share my work. Maybe there was a huge output in spring and then summer kind of comes along to fortify Mm. my spirit by exposing me to other people's artwork. And that's a restoration all of its own. It's not the same as winter. There's an exchange usually that's happening or you're receiving from others. And I think that like communal following of spring can kind of tune into what you're talking about. Like maybe you just had to really go for it. At some point in spring, we all do. That's what happens. We have to kind of come back to life. But then there's this gift of summer afterwards, which is this nourishment of the sun and other people being around us and feeling way more enlivened and ready to kind of have those conversations and maybe be Mm -hmm. part of community more. And then fall comes along and that kind of communal feeling continues, but it's more directed towards this sort of gathering of resources and preparing yourself for another winter. And so we're in the fall now. And I, I've i been thinking a lot about that preparation and what that looks like and how I'm preparing to put this book out into the world. So I'm, you know, gathering my resources and like really methodically kind of carefully regulating myself and thinking about what I need to stockpile. What am I harvesting? What am I bringing along with me? And what can I kind of finish Mm -hmm. up right now and put to rest before I start to rest? These are beautiful. Looking at them as rhythms and also thinking about them not as concrete, you know, and now we're in the fall, knowing that there's this kind of fluidity. Are there any challenges that you can think of of trying to align our creative lives to the seasons? 
Yeah, I think actually what you were talking about is really something that I have considered a lot during this book of like, well, sometimes, you know, you just have to go for it and it doesn't matter what time of year it is. And I also think that the opposite is true as I have a really good friend who's writing a book and she had these huge deadlines over the summer and she read a year in practice and she was like, oh, I just realized I need to have a winter in summer. Mm -hmm. And so kind of the challenge maybe is seeing these things as these energetic lessons yeah. and then knowing when to utilize them. And I think that is why I think the word practice is so important mm -hmm. because we talk about our practice and that's our devotion to whatever it is we're doing, but it's also practice. You have to keep trying <laughs> and keep kind of, you know, methodically moving through it and seeing what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And I think of this book as sort of this toolkit that offers you all these different avenues to explore that. Like, how do you reinforce your practice? How do you change it in the places that don't work well? And I think that that, no matter what is challenging, it requires a lot of focus. Mm -hmm. And we don't necessarily always have the time to focus on our artistic practice. But that is another part of why I imagine this book kind of stretching beyond the realm of creativity and just being more about how do we find a way to create these sort of holistic approaches to just being alive and living in this world and being a part of all these systems that are so challenging and, and really often very painful and exhausting. So anything that can kind of help us find a method or ground in this moment of time, I think that that's what we're looking for. And I, I just always am like, oh, the earth is there just sort of saying, well, here you go. I have it all spelled out for you and I want you to have access to it. And I think that that's kind of what my, my book is just saying, okay, well, this is the information <laughs> I received. You can try it on and see how it works in your life. And hopefully it will be, you know, it will help. It will assist you in your process of practicing whatever it is that works for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm curious too about this, that it, it actually kind of pleases me that you, you live in Detroit. And so I'm, I'm picturing at least suburbs, if not city for you. And so as you talk about the earth, you know, maybe, maybe I have an original idea, like she's, she's out in the woods somewhere or, you know, but it seems like you're bringing this idea of the earth into into a suburban or urban environment. Is that true? Yeah, I, I live really close to downtown. I live on the east side of Detroit. And I mean, Detroit is a very different city and there's a lot of nature here. And I actually think that, again, the magical quality of the alignment that happened when I moved here and I got to work on this book here is that I have spent a lot of time living in the woods, way out in the middle of nowhere. The, the forest and you know, different variations of wilderness and all of that has has really affected me and given a lot to my understanding of earth and practice. But I think what's really important is, is that moving here in this way, like on, on time to write and create this project, sort of reinforce this feeling of, you know, we are all nature. Mm -hmm. Like these <laughs> people are nature. <laughs> we are not separate from the earth. We are the earth. And so that that kind of reinforced my feeling of creating something like this, that this is really just a reminder of that. I, I'd actually say that for me, the thesis of the whole book is just I want 
folks to remember that the earth exists and that they are of mm-hmm. it. They are the earth. The earth is moving through them. These rhythms are inherently part of all of us, no matter where we live. They look different for, you know, each ecological setting, but that there is this presence that's offering us so much and we are completely engaged with it on some mm-hmm. level, even if it's only this sort of like atomic subconscious level. And I think that kind of reinforcing that and getting folks to turn back yep. towards that, and especially in an urban setting where maybe it's harder to see it, it might not be as obvious as it would be to me standing in the middle of the redwood forest that I am in sync and aligned with the planet. But it's here too, you know, the sycamore outside my house is giant and massive, has been growing for over a hundred years. It's telling me things also, and I'm part of the landscape here too, just like everyone else's. So I think that was a nice reaffirmation for me with this project about, it's not about just being part of this idea of wilderness and this separateness that gives us this gift of insight. It's really just about, you know, we are all nature. Nature doesn't exist without us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so grateful for this book for this reason. You know, I, I, I long for people anywhere, you know, know, in the cities, especially though, I think to remember their, the earth, I worry about, you know, things like the fact that the kids don't have, urban kids may not have a lot of memories of what is it to be outside and kicking around in the autumn leaves? And what is it to, you know, (laughs) to be stuck in the snow and, and play in the snow for hours and hours and hours? Cause that's what you do, you know, like just to be missing these kind of fundamental I am of the earth memories uh, as children. So I think the more that that we can bring this awareness of ourselves as citizens of the earth as the as nature herself, the better. And maybe on that vein, uh, here we are deep in autumn. And maybe would you share a few of the practices from the book that would help to bring us into this time? Yeah, I can give a little overview of certain things that I pulled from that chapter that I've really been thinking about. And I kind of touched on them a little bit, but this this sense of preparation, I think, is probably the biggest focus in, in the chapter about autumn. And there's a lot that can affirm that and lift that up. But the truth is, is that this is when I'm doing all of my gathering, like for the winter. So I'm thinking, mm-hmm. especially creatively, what do I want to work on in the winter time? Maybe I can start visualizing that. And what do I need in order to do that? Are there supplies that I need? Are there things that I can prepare? Like this is a great time to start sort of like making your little piles and organizing your office space and preparing yourself for this period where outcome isn't necessarily going to be the focus. So I think of fall often as like the last period of mm-hmm. outcome. Like maybe there's one thing that you really would love to finish before the the Gregorian calendar finishes. Maybe there's one thing that you have on your list that you can focus on and let this last kind of push of light Um, literally sunlight, give you, you know, energy to finish something. And then also there's a lot of things that are sort of guiding the the possibility for more creativity in, in fall, which one of them is just nostalgia. I feel like fall is just an extremely nostalgic time and that nostalgia often fuels our creative practice. It often helps us and wants us to create art in response to it or in the name of it. Mm -hmm. And another thing that kind of comes up in that vein is considering time and witnessing time passing in this season is much more tangible 
there's a lot of connection that I think can be made with, you know, seeing all the leaves change, watching the trees shift, watching all the plants do their work. This book really focuses a lot on connecting with the plant world as a, mm-hmm. a world of great guidance. It's all around us all the time, even if we're in an urban setting. And I think that kind of considering that tangible shift of time, it can either be really inspiring or I think it can help nurture that turning inward. It can help us kind of maybe pay tribute and witness time and then slow down for the winter. Uh, so there's this ramp up and then there's a lot of regulation also. So there's some practices and prompts in the book that talk about what it is to try to regulate yourself as you're maybe cooling down from the warmer season and you're getting ready for this colder season. And there are practices that talk about uh, clearing and using fire to sort of set the tone for what it looks like to kind of cleanse yourself of everything Mm -hmm. you've been collecting all year long and only take the things with you that you need to take with you into the darker season. It's going to be heavy already, so you don't want to be too heavy going in. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, uh, there's a whole section about this idea of clearing yourself at this point in time. Yeah, I love this. I'm wondering myself, you know, of course, as I was reading the book and even now listening to you, I just keep thinking, Am I doing this? Do I do this intuitively? How am I resisting these kind of more natural? I think especially because I have a daily practice, you know, that that doesn't change much. You know, there's other creative practices that like I'm going to have do nothing December, which is kind of, I think, in align with your cocooning time of it's actually not quite nothing, but I've been aiming for nothing. <laughs> but, you know, I just think that it is interesting. And I'm guessing that that our listeners are thinking, too, about, you know, how how is this something that I'm already doing or how is this an invitation for me to to really reshape how I what my practice looks like? Yeah, I really hope that that's exactly what it inspires in everyone, that kind of assessment of self and just kind of using the book as a starting point and a foundation for you asking yourself that question. Like, am I resisting these things that come up naturally in the seasons? Am I practicing these things already without even noticing it? And those little nuanced ways that this you know, natural rhythm and this cadence of the earth kind of just comes through no matter what. There's no stopping it because it's going to keep happening even if we don't notice it. Um, but what does it look like to notice it? And then what does that do for us? If we notice it, how do we benefit from that noticing? And I'm interested in the idea of just kind of moving away from any idea that the book is prescriptive mm-hmm. and just more of this fluid sort of let yourself look at these things and answer the questions yourself mm-hmm. and see how, you know, obviously in this world we live in, I'm not able to just completely like do nothing for all winter and go into a cave. I would love that, believe me, but that's not possible. I still have to work. I still have to leave the house. And I think I kind of, I lift up that tone in the season of winter because I do think that that is probably the hardest season for a lot of people. And I think it's probably the hardest Mm -hmm. thing for us to do, to slow down and turn off and turn inward and not consider outcome. And so that's why that (laughs) is a very hefty chapter, because not only is it difficult to meet winter and the darkness and the cold, but also to like actually engage with that uninterrupted time and let it be what it is and let it be a healing thing and let it offer us what it wants to offer us. It's not easy. It's challenging to fit that in. So I think that's another thing that I try to kind of weave that into the book in in different parts is just saying, 
I recognize there's a lot of idealism in this, mm. but that doesn't mean it's not true. Right. It doesn't mean it's not true that these seasons are offering us this information. It, it is true that it might be extremely hard for a lot of us to enact these things, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't talk about it. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't <laughs> try to memorize it and try to like taste it as, as much as we can. And that, that was really what I was left with, with the book was, you know, I, I consider my work, I want it to be impactful. I want it to help people and I consider it an act of service, but I also on the same note and very aware of the fact that, yeah, we can't just all become bears and turn everything off for three months. I, yeah. I wish we could. I think the world <laughs> would probably be a much more magical and, and, and uh, a different place if that were uh, more supported. Yeah. Oh, Jacqueline, it's been a joy to have you. And uh, I'm so excited that we have a chance to talk some more for our bonus episode that's available for our paid subscribers. And uh, I have a lot more questions actually about the book, about imagination, and of course about your own creative habits. So I hope people will pay to subscribe so that they can listen to that bonus episode. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. been listening to Emerging Form. This is Rosemary Watola-Tromer, and my co-host is science writer Christy Ashwanden. Our fabulous audio producer is Leah Shaw. Our music is created and performed by Kira Kopostansky and edited by Leah Shaw. Kate LaRue designed our logo. Jack Mueller, of course, inspired our work and the name of this podcast. As he always said, you must obey the poem's emerging form. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Emerging Form. Did you know that for just a few bucks a month, you can become a paid subscriber and get bonus episodes every other week? Go to emergingform.substack.com to sign up. And if you really want to help us out, leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening.